1 Corinthians as we continue working our way uh, through the book of 1 Corinthians. You'll remember last week, one of the things we, we discussed in the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians, Paul's dealing with the, this problem within the church of Corinth of division. They were dividing themselves. They were, they were dividing themselves not based on the fact that, well, I like this teacher or I like this kind of music. They were dividing themselves and saying, because I follow this person's teachings, I'm naturally more holy than you. And this was causing a schismata, a schisma within the church, a tearing. The church was beginning to tear itself apart. So in chapter 1, guys, Paul tells us, if you want to understand and experience the unity in the body of Christ that God wants us to have, we read about it in John chapter 17, right? Didn't Jesus pray that we would experience the same unity that Son has with Father in the Trinity? That's, that's a pretty tight unity, isn't it? He says, Father, that they would know what it is to be one even as we are one. And then Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that the foundation of our unity is keeping the main thing the main thing. And the main thing will always be Jesus Christ, following Jesus Christ, focusing on him. In fact, we, we spoke a little bit last time about the fact that there are 169 times in Paul's 13 epistles, he uses the phrase in him or in Christ. Being found in Christ or in him is so vitally important that Paul repeats it 169 times. And as he repeats that, as he lays that out for us, there are certain things we need to realize. For example, our unity is in Christ Jesus. Folks, we get together, we can find a lot of things to argue about, right? We can argue about sports teams and who I like and who you like. We can argue about the economy. We can argue about politics. But what Paul is saying, don't allow the body of Christ to tear itself apart When you get off of the subject, which is the main thing, Jesus Christ. What is the main thing about Jesus Christ? That he died for my sins. That he he is the one who makes me righteous. Nobody else. Nobody else's special teaching. Nobody else's special blessing. It's my relationship with Jesus Christ that makes me righteous. For he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. So Christ unifies us when we focus on Him. And then as we, as we come to the end of chapter 1, we're going we're gonna to begin at verse 21, I think. As we take a look at that, we're going to realize that the third thing that unites us as we look at Jesus, who He is, that He died on the cross for our sins, and ultimately, He chose me. He chose me. Just like he chose you. We're members on the same team. So we ought not look at one another. It's not a competition between us. It's not a competition even between churches. It is simply you and I running our race of faith. Looking unto that finisher. The author and finisher of our faith. Who is Jesus Christ. Looking to that glorious hope. Titus tells us. Which is the appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ looking into his eyes and hearing him say to us, well done. I got a race to run. And I want to run it with all that I am. I don't want to just give lip service, partial service, and I'm not going to waste my time competing with my brother. I'm not racing against him. We each are running a race. Different different track altogether. But I'm running to Christ and he's running to Christ. So we keep... The main thing, the main thing. Well, as we look at verse 21, chapter 1, it says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. I mean, isn't it amazing that God, Almighty God, uses us? God could do this a lot easier, couldn't he? In fact, as we study the book of Revelation, you'll notice there's a time where God will send an angel circling the globe proclaiming the everlasting gospel. So that angel is going to cover it all. But he chooses to use us. 
Why? Why does he use us? Why does he want to use us? It's simply this, guys. When God uses imperfect vessels like you and I, his light shines through. People look at you and they look at me and they say, well, Jackie's not doing that because he's so great. Man, that's got to be the Spirit of God in him. That's got to be the Holy Spirit's guiding and leading and directing. So God shines through. And we get to be a part. Don't you remember when, when our children were young and we first went out to mow the lawn? I can mow the lawn a lot better than my kids. Why? Because I care. My kids don't care. They don't care if the sprinkler's still up. Because that would require them to slow down. No, I'm just mowing it. And if one of, the, one of my boys left a Tonka truck in the middle of the grass... Let's see what happens. We run over to talk a truck and blow it apart. But I choose to use my son or to teach my children that because I know it is something that they need to learn. And that's why God uses us. That's why he uses the foolish things to confound those who think they're wise. Look what the scripture says in verse 22. For the Jews request a sign. Listen, one of the things that... How many times we hear the Jews ask Jesus? Show us a sign. Show us a sign. Let's think about that for a moment, okay? For example, John chapter 9. No man who had ever been born blind had been healed. In John chapter 9, Jesus healed a blind man. In the Psalms, it says, Only Almighty God, Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D, the very name of God, the Father can open the eyes of the blind. What did Jesus do? He opened the eyes of the blind. Show us a sign. Are you guys not watching? How about this? Leviticus chapter 13 told the priests what to do in case a leper was healed. Do a careful study of the scriptures in the Old Testament and try to find how many times that happened. For hundreds of years, the priests would study Leviticus 13 and they would say, Well, I don't know why we study this. It never happens. Twice in the Old Testament it occurred. Once was before the law, and the other one was the Gentile. So the priests never used it, never utilized that that instruction that God gave. But when Jesus walked in Jerusalem, on one day he healed ten. Now if you're a priest... And you've never before utilized Leviticus chapter 13. And on one day, ten guys come walking in to present themselves to the priest, healed of leprosy. Show us a sign. Are you paying attention? Because you're just not seeing the things that are going on around you. The, The lame were healed. The blind would see. The the deaf would hear, the mute would speak. That's what Isaiah 61, 1 and 2 said of the Messiah. That that's what the sign would be. Isn't that what we saw in the life of Christ? Yet, the Jews would come to Jesus and say, show us a sign. You remember what he gave them? He said, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and none will be given it save one. The sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of that great fish three days and three nights, so the Son of God will be in the bowels of the earth. He gave His resurrection as a sign that He was who He said He was. And on the third day, what happened? He rose again. He rose again. 500 witnesses, eyewitnesses of the resurrection. How many witnesses do you need to believe it? 500 is pretty good for me. 500 witnesses saw that resurrection. The Jews, they request a sign. But yet, they can't see. They can't see. And what does it say of the Greeks? And the Greeks, the Greeks seek after wisdom. The Greek culture loved wisdom. In fact, they developed a word about loving wisdom. It's called phileo sophia. The love of wisdom. I had to take that class. Philosophy. The love of wisdom. The Greeks were all amazed at how smart they were. 
So they would come and they'd listen to the foolishness of the message preached. And to them, it's like, what are you talking about? That can't possibly happen. There's no such, everyone knows there's no such thing as a resurrection. How can you believe in that? The Greeks seek after wisdom and their love of wisdom blinds them from the truth. The Jews seek after a sign and their sign becomes a stumbling block unto them. Look at the next verse. It says, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, a God dying for you. Whoever heard of such a thing? Whoever heard of such a thing? To the Greeks, foolishness. But to the Jew? Well, let's see. Daniel chapter 9, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22. Those three chapters, the whole chapter is devoted to the crucifixion of the Messiah, His resurrection and God's work of redemption of the Gentiles. Laid out for them to see a sign yet their eyes are blinded to it. But to those who are called, verse 24, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The foolishness of God, maybe you've heard of that. It's called an oxymoron. Oxymoron. How many guys were in the military? You ever heard of, of military intelligence? oxymoron jumbo shrimp oxymoron i don't care how big you make that shrimp still shrimp the foolishness of god is wiser than the wisest of men listen we talked about this for how many years did we we crucify or or persecute people who said that the earth was round the church itself sat and proclaimed, oh, you people, you can't believe that the earth is flat. We know the earth is flat. How many times does man's wisdom have to be proven false before we recognize what the Bible said? Because in the book of Job and in the Psalms, God said that the earth is a sphere and it hangs on nothing. No other culture, none, zero, not one, ever said that. All of those other Eastern religions. Well, the earth is on top of a turtle riding on the back of an elephant. That's what they said. Because they're so wise. And today we think, well, somehow we've we've gone further. Wasn't it just 200 years ago, right? We bled to death our first president. Because everyone knows if you're sick, you pour the blood out of them. Because in the blood is where all the sickness is. Well, if that was the case, Kathy would be in big trouble because she'd been sick with a cold for a long time. <laughs> you only have so much blood. Do you know what the Bible said? In the book of Leviticus, written 2,000 years prior, life is in the blood. Oh, but the wisdom of man, that's so great, right? The foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. He goes on and tells us in verse 26, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Hey, God calls. When God calls us, He doesn't call us based on our our resume, how great we are. He doesn't call us based. He calls us based on how well we will submit to Him and allow Him to use us. It's not a litany of what we're able to do. It's simply our willingness. Our willingness. And as I was looking at this, you know, I was, I was thinking of Fritz. Fritz is a pretty amazing guy, isn't he? I mean, do you notice he's doing worship and his strap on his guitar fell off? Man, I'd just come down and sit down if that happened to me. But he just puts it back on. I just want you guys to know, Fritz was saved by an M. Do you know that? He's saved by an M. Because in that verse it says, For you see your calling, brethren, not many wise. It doesn't say not any. It says not many. Not many mighty. Not many noble. So Fritzy was saved by an M. I'm the foolish things. 
he's all right, man. <clears throat> he's all right. We had a great time this weekend. But listen, you see your calling. See it. No, it's not based on what you have or what you do. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. How embarrassing is it when the Bible proves itself to be right and man's wisdom falls by the wayside yet again? Just one more thing. For example, critics of the Bible used to say, man, how do you read the Bible? Everyone knows there is no such guy as Pilate. No such guy. We have found nothing that indicates Pilate ever existed. Well, they have a problem now. Because while they were digging around Jerusalem, they uncovered this stone that was a dedication in Caesarea that was a dedication to, you'll never guess who, Pilate. Uh-oh. We've got to change that. We've we got we to gotta change things. Well, we... Well, I can't say we don't know about Abraham because they know where his grave is. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, it's still there today. Everything that the Bible tells us is true. And it lays it out. The wisdom of God. It says in verse 28, And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Do you know that the Bible said that Abraham had so much faith in God that he believed God could create in his life something from nothing. Do you believe that today? Because Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God bara, created from nothing, all that we have today. So when I present myself to God and I feel like I'm giving God a big sack of nothing, can God make something out of that? Sure he can. He's in the business of that. That's why Abraham believed and God accounted it to him as righteousness because he believed that God could do what he said he could do. That's where we need to be. That's going to promote unity in us. That's going to help us bind ourselves together. For God has chosen us. Verse 29, that no flesh would glory in his presence. Do you know Isaiah the prophet? In the first five chapters of Isaiah, they begin like this. Woe to you. And woe to you. Woe to you. And woe to you too. Do you know what happens in Isaiah chapter 6? In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. And he said what? Woe to me. No flesh will glory in God's presence. Everything we're able to accomplish, we accomplish by His blessing. It wasn't me. Everything that God's done at Calvary Chapel Buell and all the building and all the people who poured their blood, sweat, and tears into this. And it is a, a worthy sacrifice that they all gave. But this place is made by the Spirit of God. Not by the sweat of men. It's by God's Spirit moving and working that no flesh will glory in His presence. That God would receive all the glory. But of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, listen to this, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Do you realize, do you recognize that everything that you need is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ? You need wisdom, it's in Christ. You need sanctification. Remember, sanctification is a fancy way of, certain, of saying, turning from my old life and living in the new. It's not just turning, it's turning and living, moving forward. That's the work of sanctification. Where is that found? In our relationship with Jesus Christ. What about redemption? It's in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Everything we need is found in a relationship with Him. Jesus said, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. But He said, if you do not abide in me, what? Without me, you can do 
nothing. Careful study of the word nothing in the Greek reveals it means nothing. No thing, not anything. There's nothing. If you can name it, it's a thing. And you can't do it without Jesus. You can't do it without him. Folks, I see it all the time, don't you? I look at famous people that have all the money, the fame, the power, all the things they thought was going to satisfy their life. We've got it all, man. I'm, I, I got millions of people chanting my name when I come walking out on stage and I grab that electric guitar and I do that solo. But what happens at the end of the night? He still wonders, why am I doing this, man? Nothing satisfies. Why? Because that good gift that he's been given, that gift of music, given to him by God for every good and perfect gift comes from our Father in heaven. Every good gift, whether you, me, or anyone else, came from God. It came from God. And without it being used in Christ, it won't satisfy. So here the guy is on dope, on drugs, shooting himself with a shotgun at night when he has everything. But he really doesn't have anything because it's not in Christ Jesus. For without him, we can do nothing. In him we have wisdom. In him we have righteousness. For he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God, sanctification and redemption. So that it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Remember what Paul said? I glory in my, in my infirmities, in my sickness, in my weakness. Paul came to the Lord and he said to the Lord three times, Lord, remove this thorn from my side. You remember what God told him? No. Has God ever told you no? He has told me no before. For example, I said, God, I really would like to have my Harley back. That would be kind of (laughs) nice. The Lord said no. So I tried to make it happen. And my wife reminds me, this is why God gives us wives. My wife reminded me, I'm sitting there going, but babe, we could work it out like this, 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 and I still have a bike. And she said, but you know, Jackie, you taught on a Wednesday night once. If God wanted to take away your Harley, you'd let him. Now, what are you supposed to say to that? (laughs) I'll tell you what I said. Bye. It's gone. But listen, sometimes God says no. But what is it? What was the purpose behind it? Do you remember? Three times Paul prayed. God said no, and he told Paul, my strength is perfected in your weakness. That's what it's all about. If he glories, let him glory in the Lord. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, I didn't come with excellence of speech or wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What's Paul saying? I came to you, and I kept the main thing the main thing. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about how smart I am or how good I am or what I can do. It is about Jesus Christ. It is about him crucified. That's the only thing that's going to save you. Paul already said in chapter 1, was I crucified for you? Don't follow me. You can follow me as I follow Christ, but the goal is following Jesus Christ. Keeping our eyes on him. The main thing, the main thing. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words. It wasn't all about the persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. What's he saying? The second thing that unites us is being bound together by the Holy Spirit. Paul said, I came to you in the power of the Holy Spirit. I came to you in the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. I come to you equipped by the Holy Spirit. That same Holy Spirit that each of us who are believers put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, He said He gave us. The seal of our relationship with God is the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. That He's here. 
that He's with us, that He's guiding, that He's leading. If the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding me and the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding you, what do we really got to fight about? If the problem is when I assume, well, the Holy Spirit told me this, so that means you have to do that. What? Don't we each have the Spirit? So is not the Holy Spirit capable of telling me that message? Yeah, most of the time. And just in case he doesn't, the Lord in his wisdom gave us marriage. <laughs> for those rare occasions when my wife needs to become the Holy Spirit for me. Or vice versa. And we laugh about that, but listen, this is how important that is. In the book of Colossians, the Lord said, Allow the peace of God to rule in your heart. When my wife and I got married, do you know what we became? According to Genesis chapter 2, we became one flesh. Echad. We became unified. God's not going to call me somewhere he doesn't call my wife. How do I know for certain that God's directing or leading me in a direction? How do I know I'm not sensing wrong or I'm not hearing the wrong voice? Because what God speaks to me, he'll speak to my wife. What God speaks to my wife, he will speak to me. Why? We're one flesh. He doesn't give us two messages. He doesn't say, Kathy, you know, I'm going to send you to China. And Jackie, I'm going to send you to Russia. That doesn't work that way. We're one flesh. We're one flesh. We're together. So I have this incredible strength. If I'm wondering how God's leading, when my wife and I pray about it together, we can both realize, yes, that's the way the Spirit's going. I have confirmation. Why do you think the enemy wants to destroy so many marriages? Because it's one of the strongest relationships of unity we can experience. So he attacks it the most. So that he can try to tear it apart. But the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit unifies me with my wife. He doesn't divide us. And he unifies us within the body. Just because God calls me or gives me a conviction, that's my conviction. Now, if I think that conviction should be everyone's, I'll pray that the Holy Spirit reveals that conviction to everyone. But right now, it's mine. What am I doing with it? Am I being obedient to what He's telling me? And realizing I have a race to run, and you do. We're not on the same track. God may very well give you instructions in life that aren't the same as me. Do you know that there are churches who love Jesus Christ that don't even have a drums? Man, is that even possible? <clears throat> well, why? Because I think when, when we have uh, uh, worship with electric guitar and drums and we're coming before the Lord, utilizing the gifts that God's given us, that that's how everyone has to do it? No, it's not. That's my conviction. That's our style. That's our thing. It's okay. Everyone doesn't have to be the same. If we were all the same, we'd be one giant pinky, right? Wouldn't be able to get nothing done. Where's the heart? Where's the lungs? Where's the brain? Where's all that stuff that, that, that the body needs? Because there's supposed to be diversity in the body of Christ. That diversity should not divide us. We shouldn't sit around and argue about how we're different. It's okay. The same Spirit's working in me that's working in my brothers and sisters that do it different. We're one body. Jesus Christ saves us all. Amen? Amen. Well, the Scripture goes on, chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 5 says, So that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Do you know if you are trusting men, man, you are going to crash and burn. When I was 17 years old, my faith was based in my father. But that don't seem like such a bad thing, does it? I think every, every man following the Lord Jesus Christ wants to hear his son say, my faith is based on the walk of my father. But there's one problem. What happens when your dad chokes? When I was 18 years old, my dad walked into my room, walked over to me and told me he was an assistant pastor at a church. I am leaving the church, I'm leaving your mom, 
Got a new family. Going to go start new. If all your faith is in man, what just happened to your faith? For the next 13 years, I was mad at God. Was it God's fault? No. And did my being mad at God help me? (laughs) Not really, no. I rebelled. I did a lot of things that I, I wish I could take back. But at the same time, I want you to know, I would not trade not one of those 13 years. Because those 13 years in rebellion against God is what shaped the character that I have today and made me the man I am now. By God working in me. And teaching me to put my faith in Him. Not in men. Not in men. Folks, I don't care what author, teacher, worship leader you love. If you worship them, I'll promise you one thing. They can all stumble and fall because they're just like you. And you can stumble and fall. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall, Paul would write. Why? Because we're all capable of that. If we're putting our faith and trust in that teacher that we love, that that author that we love, what are we going to do when they just bail on the faith? Does that mean we quit too? Our faith is misplaced if that's true. Our faith is to be in God. Because God never fails. Ever. Ever. God never fails. We put our faith in Him. However, in verse 6, we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. What's he saying? God does not put a premium on ignorance of the Word of God. Well, God said that I should be foolish. So I'm not going to read or study or apply myself to the Word at all. I'll just go around being as dumb as I can be. God doesn't put a premium on ignorance. Paul said, we, we teach, we speak wisdom among the mature, among the saved. We share the Word of God. I want to grow. Folks, when we, we just have a, a brand new grandbaby little girl. And I was talking to my son the other day. We're going to go see her in a, in a couple of weeks. And I was talking to my son and I said, which is, this, sorry, it's weird. But anyway, I told him, when I get there, one of the things I'm looking forward to is getting to change her diaper. Baby diapers. Well, come on, how bad? That's not bad. No, really, it isn't bad. <laughs> you know how I know it isn't bad? Because I have a son named Joseph who is autistic. And he, he didn't get potty trained until he was nine. You think a baby diaper's bad? <laughs> Let me tell you. It, it's like heaven compared to a nine-year-old diaper. What we look on one hand and we, and we look at and we think is cute and we laugh about it and we have fun. But if there's no maturity within a body, it stops being fun real quick. We're supposed to grow. We're supposed to learn. We're supposed to seek after the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of man. He wants us to draw near unto Him. Not the wisdom of this age, he says in verse 6, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. The Greek word for mystery is a word mysterion. It means something that we could never understand apart from God's direct revelation. Something that we wouldn't understand apart from God's direct revelation. Where do we find those mysteries right here the old testament in the old testament the new testament is concealed in the new testament the old testament is revealed it's all there it all fits like a glove perfect beautifully and and the spirit of god wants to guide us in that understanding In verse 8, which none of the rulers of this age knew, because if they had known, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. Hey, if they had really understood what Daniel 9 said, 
what Isaiah 53 said, what Psalm 22 taught. They wouldn't have crucified Jesus. They'd have recognized him. But they didn't see. They didn't understand. And it's all the better for us, right? It was all part of God's plan. Now it's revealed. The New Testament shines the light of understanding upon the old. And all of these pictures come to light. Wow, look at where God said this and that. He was talking about this. It's incredible. Paul says, well, we want to grow in that wisdom and understanding. We want to know what it is that God is laying out for us. Look at verse 9. Isn't this a great verse? But it is written, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. I love that verse. <clears throat> when it says, nor has it entered into the hearts of man, it, it means the inner thoughts the inner man. It never even entered into man's being the things that God has planned for him. So how is it that man can know it? How can man know it? Well, that's why we don't read just one verse. Verse 10. But God has revealed to them, revealed them to us, how? Through his spirit. How is it that we come to know the mysteries of God? His spirit. You ever read something in the Bible? I write notes all over in my Bible. And I'll write notes and I'll come back two years later and I'll read it. And and it's like something else in that verse is jumping out at me. Why? Because the Spirit is continuing to teach us. That's why we will teach the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Wednesday night, we'll go through the Old Testament. Don't hide from the Old Testament. The Old Testament shows us all the pictures and the plans of God beforehand. On Sunday night, we're going to go through the Old Testament prophets. And we're going to study those, those great Old Testament prophets and prophecy. And on Sunday morning, we're going to go through it. And we're going to do it until Jesus comes back. We're going to go through it. Why? Because every time I go through the Word of God, He shows me something else. Because what is it that reveals the deep things of God? Is it me and my incredible ability to study? No. It's the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God that reveals, that reveals these things. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. What's he saying? When's the last time you were able to read your neighbor's mind? But like never? Kathy and I have been married 23 years. She can't read my mind. Sometimes she thinks she can read my mind. But she can't read my mind. And what the Lord is saying is if you can't read one another's mind, the only person who can know your mind is you. Why do you think you can know the mind of God apart from the Spirit of God? If we don't really understand one another, you think you're going to understand God? Because God is infinitely above us. So high are His ways, higher than our ways, past our finding out, except for what? The Holy Spirit reveals it to us as we study, as we make ourselves good students of God's Word, as we pour ourselves into that labor of knowing our Lord and Savior. And He's going to reveal the deep things to us. Because the Holy Spirit does that perfect work. He goes on and tells us now. Now we have received not the spirit of this world. But the spirit who is from God. That we might know the things which have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak. Not in words which man's wisdom teaches. But which the Holy Spirit teaches. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual the spiritual realities of God's Word. How are we going to be unified? We're unified in the fact that the same Holy Spirit's working in me, is working in you, is working in the church down the street that loves Jesus. The true church. Those who accept the reality of exactly who Jesus is and what He's done. They keep the main thing the main thing. The Holy Spirit is going to guide and lead us. What is the work of the Holy Spirit? Guys, in John chapter 16, 
Jesus said, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Holy Spirit is going to teach us. It's going to bring to our remembrance the things that we've studied. He's going to lift the veil from our eyes so that we might understand God's word. Here's the word, guys. Here's what he's going to do. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Holy Spirit makes us his temple. We together, corporately, we individually are also the temple of God. For do you not know that your body is the temple of God? But we are also corporately built together as the body of Christ into the temple of God by the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians six nineteen, it says, Do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That's the work the Holy Spirit does in our life. Unites us. Does the same work for all of us. He baptizes us into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and have all been made to drink one spirit. When the body of Christ is divided, who bleeds? Christ does. It's his body. We shouldn't be divided. We should be united. We're not supposed to all be the same. It's okay. But we're not supposed to be divided. John would write, How can you say you love God and you hate your brother? You're a liar. You're a liar. We can't hate our brother. Jesus said they will know you are my disciples. How? By your love for one another. That doesn't just mean in Calvary Chapel Buell. It means anyone who is a part of the body of Christ. We love them. That we find our unity in the things that matter. And the things that don't, we experience the freedom to come to the Lord based on how He is revealing Himself to and through us. In the Ephesians, Paul would write to us that the Holy Spirit seals us. He's the guarantee that we're saved. Ephesians chapter 1. In Him you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation... In whom also, having believed, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of that purchased possession to the praise of His glory. What's that mean? Holy Spirit is the guarantee that one day we'll see Jesus face to face. Holy Spirit working in our life. That's what He does. He seals us. You know the best part of all? He remains with us Jesus said in John 14 I will pray to the father and he will give you another helper and he will abide with you forever forever Holy Spirit Jesus said I'll never leave you or forsake you you will not take one step on this earth without God's presence with you in you, around you, a part of everything that you'll ever be or ever do. Because he'll never leave. He'll never leave. God will not save anyone that he cannot keep. Do you understand that? If God can save me, he can keep me. Did my salvation depend on me? Only in as much as I chose him. I received the free gift. So does my staying saved depend on me? Paul said, I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded. He is able to keep me. He keeps me. And that's that work, that power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Verse 14, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit. That word natural in the Greek is a word psuchikos. It means the guy who believes there is nothing in this world but what I can see and what I can touch. There is nothing other than the physical. Paul says the natural man won't understand the things of the Spirit. 
He doesn't even believe that things of the Spirit exist. Nothing exists beyond the physical. For they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. We understand the things of the Spirit based on the work of the Spirit in our life. I am continuing to grow in my relationship to God based on the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in my life as He reveals the mysteries of God to me through my study in God's Word. And that will never stop. As long as I am willing, like Paul wrote to Timothy, to be a student of the Word. As long as I am willing to go unto the world, for all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is good for doctrine and reproof, for correction. God calls us to be, therefore, what? Good. A good student. Study to show yourself approved, a workman of God, rightly dividing the word of truth. We want to pour ourselves into that, that we might grow and we might know. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. My thought the Bible said, judge not, lest ye not be judged. Don't ever, are you ever get tired of hearing that? What did you like, go on a computer and look for the one Bible verse you could possibly remember? Judge not, judge not. You can't judge me, brother. I can live my life any way I want to. <clears throat> you can. Live your life any way you want to. When that scripture says, judge not lest you be judged, the word is crino. It means I cannot condemn anyone. Whose job is it to condemn? God's job, not my job. When he says here that he wants us to judge rightly, he wants us to judge what? Those things which lead toward the Lord and those things which lead away from him. So I can tell my brother who thinks he can live his life any way he wants Hey, God's word says that's not right. You live your life this way and you're in rebellion to God. That's not a good place to be. And he says, judge not. I say, brother, I'm not condemning you. Jesus said, I did not come into the world to condemn the world. It's already condemned. I came to the world that it might be saved. That's the point. And that's what he's laying out for us here. But he who is spiritual judges all things. But he's not judged by anyone. Why? Because the judgment that would fall upon you and I fell upon Jesus Christ at the cross. When he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we, what? Have the mind of Christ. As we... Close in closing this morning. Would you turn with me to Philippians chapter 2? Philippians, one of my <clears throat> favorite books of, of all time. I'm be, be excited when we get a chance. We work our way to Philippians. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 3. Just let the word of God wash over you. Can you know the mind of God? Who can instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Verse 3, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. And let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation. Taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death. Even the death of the cross. Did you catch what it said? Paul in 1 Corinthians said, we have the mind of Christ. Paul in his letter to the church of Philippi said, we have to let the mind of Christ be in us. We get to choose how we react to everything we face in a day, right? We can react in the flesh, or we can react in the spirit. The Bible says, 
Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. If he sows to the flesh, he will of the flesh reap corruption. If he sows to the Spirit, he will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Let the mind of Christ dwell in you. Obey the Spirit that was given to you the day you gave your life to Jesus Christ. And you will experience satisfaction like you won't believe. Because everything we need is in Christ Jesus. Amen? Why don't you stand with me let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you. We praise you, Father, for this time. We can study your word. I thank you, God, that so many people come this morning to, to make the effort to say, I want to know you. I want to know what your word says and what your word teaches and how I can have a relationship with you. <clears throat> I thank you, God, that we can come before you with praises and thanksgiving. I thank you, God, that we can come before you, make a joyful noise to our Lord. I thank you, God, that we can be still and know that you are God. I thank you, God, that you guide us by your Spirit so that we might be so much more than what we are now. I thank you, God, that you'll never stop that work in us. Do you not know that you are God's poem, his poema, his workmanship? And God is writing such a poem on your life as to reveal to your friends and neighbors and family who he is to you. Oh, Lord, we thank you so much for the relationship that you give us. And as we come to you this morning, Father, we just come and we pray, Lord Jesus, anybody here that doesn't know you, anybody here doesn't have a relationship with you, there is no reason to walk out those doors this morning without coming forward and saying, I want to know Jesus. I need to have a relationship with him. So, Father, as we close in worship, we pray that your Holy Spirit might continue to move. That you would continue to call those who are being saved. That you would continue to teach we who are walking with you. And Father, that you would continue to grow your body, the body of Christ. That we might be able to do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Lord, we give this day to you in for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.